from Rogers Arena, calling Canucks games. It is Brendan Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelor. Was that uh, Halford and or Bruff? Or was that you guys? That was, that was Andy Cole. That was all A-Dog. It was all A-Dog? Great. I'm so pumped up. I, I like these it. intros. I love that. I love that intro for Batch. Nice, man. Oh, thank you. Yeah. If it was the other guys, I was going to rip them. But you're right there. Loved it. Loved it. We need a Brooke Ward intro. We need a Josh Elliott, Dosh Wolf. There we go. Intro. I love that we're asking them. To, it's like three days we're asking know, them right? to do a bunch on, of extra man. work. Got to be something. Do something over there, Andy. Uh, the inbox presentation of Dunbar at Lumber. The text line is 650-650. Bottom of the hour, what we learned. Get them in now if you want. I, I haven't asked yet. I, it's my bad. I haven't asked for what we learned at all uh, so far during the program. So uh, we have none. We haven't even started yet. You could break the shutout. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Three stores to serve you. Ladner Bridge Street. And the Express at the Ladner Center, Arbutus in Vancouver, the flagship station, online, DunbarLumber.com. What I learned is Brendan Batchelor, after that incredible intro, I just want to hear it again, is with us now. Hello, Batch. How you doing? Good morning, gentlemen. Good to talk to you. How are you? We're well, man. Pick an unsung hero for the Canucks. That was a topic from last hour as we move into our third period of play, Batch. It's a close game. You have a chance to break the tie. If you had an unsung <laughs> hero for the Canucks and want to avoid three-on-three overtime and what that's turned into, you could score the game winner and win it in regulation. Yeah, it has to be Connor Garland for me, um, who I think has really done a, a great job of driving that third line that has become a really big difference for this team in terms of their ability to win games and get depth scoring and control play. And uh, for, for a guy that, you know, essentially, you know, it, it seemed like he wanted out at the start of the season. You know, it's easy to forget that on the eve of the season, he changed agents and there was talk about him, you know, not wanting to be a Vancouver Canuck anymore. Full credit to him. He's come in here this year. And although there haven't been a ton of points, you know, it's the the play driving, the uh, you know ability of that line to have a lot of success, and I think he is a, a key part in that. So, um, you know, maybe maybe it's not quite as unsung as it would have been a few weeks ago for Garland, because I think people are are starting to realize and recognize more regularly the impact that he's having in that role. But that's who I'm going to go with. I think Garland's been great, and even though there's not a ton of points there. Uh, when you're playing on a winning team and you're able to chip in and have success down the lineup, you know, that's something worthy of recognizing, I think. I've seen him have, especially early when he got here, like two-week stretches or three-week stretches, and then he kind of drifts off. The The difference this time is he's producing in the stretch. Like, he's getting, he's prominent. He's not just working in the corners and digging and got those legs chugging batch. They're putting pucks in the net. I hope it continues, but I've seen stretches of him like this, to a degree like this before. Yeah, that's fair. And, you know, he's had some much better offensive seasons as a Canuck uh, than than this year in, in terms of his production. You know, a couple of years ago in particular, his first year in Vancouver, he put up a, a lot of points. I think he set a career high or somewhere around there off the top of my head. But um, th- this kind of ties into something that Rick Tockett has said in relation to Andre Kuzmenko, which is it's one thing to produce a lot of points on a team that's not winning. It's another thing to, you know, chip in and and help a team have success and sustainable success. And sometimes in order to do that, you have to do it at the expense of your individual points or your individual production. And I think that's what we've seen from Garland this year. You know, you're right over the last couple of weeks in particular, that line scoring more regularly. He's had some more points 
and as a result is is getting some more flowers. But I've liked the way that he's played all year long, even when that line wasn't producing as much, because, you know, even if they're not scoring goals, they're having an impact because they control play, they hem teams in the other end, and that sets up well for the skilled players to come out and have success if, you know, you've you've been on the forecheck and you've grinded out a heavy shift against another team and forced them to ice the puck. You can change. They can't. Your top guys can come out and capitalize. And I think that's something we've seen that line do very effectively at times this year, regardless of whether they're putting the puck in the net themselves. You're on top of it, by the way. Two years ago with Vancouver, he had 19 goals. Last year, he had 17, and he was seeing a ton of power play time. He had 12 power play points, 10 of them assists last year, two batch. So not seeing the power play year this time this year, and the stats are down a little bit. Garland's been doing well. Mr. Elliott Wolf. Uh, so we're kind of four days removed from the last game. I'm sure a lot in your life has happened since then. Merry Christmas, by the way. Um, <laughs> yep, but we did see you. Andre Kuzmenko get back in the lineup, score a couple goals. What did you think of his return, not only to the lineup, but to Elias Pettersson's wing? Obviously, great returns when you score a couple of goals like that right away, and, and it made a big difference in that hockey game for the Canucks because as we saw, and maybe this was kind of sort of the, the pre-Christmas game uh, playing in as a factor there, you know, they, they kind of coughed up that lead and, and needed those goals later on in the game in order to beat the Sharks. So, um, you know, there's still lots of room for improvement with Kuzmenko's overall game. And I think that's clear, although he's taken strides in the right direction. But that said, getting back on Pedersen's line, scoring a couple of goals, feeling confident, that's going to, you know, help him in in his, you know, continued search of, of a consistent spot in the lineup and finding, you know, the, the kind of consistent game that the coaching staff can be pleased with. And this is something that, that I always harp on whether it's with Kuzmenko or, or any other young, skilled player that maybe is struggling to, to try and find their two-way game. You know, I've talked about this with Niels Hoaglander, too. I talked about it with Nikolai Goldobin when he was a Vancouver Canuck. Is either you have to figure out how to play the full 200 feet of the ice, two-way game, be a defensive, you know, not be a defensive liability, be reliable defensively so that the coaching staff can trust you and get out get you out there on the ice or you have to score so much that they're willing to live with your defensive deficiencies. And that's kind of what happened last year with Kuzmenko when he produced at the level that he did. But, you know, as I kind of spoke about with Garland earlier, like it's one thing to get a ton of points on a team that's not having success where you keep getting thrown over the boards. It's another thing to produce and have success on a team that's winning games where there's competition for spots in the lineup and other guys that the coach coach trusts more defensively to have success. So, um, you know, I think Kuzmenko's made strides in the defensive side of the game, but the other way that you can remain a consistent fixture in the lineup is if you just produce. And so to see him score a couple of goals, you have to think that'll be good for his confidence. And if he can get on a bit of a run here out of Christmas where he and Pedersen can get some of that chemistry back that we saw from last season and continue to produce offense and he can start scoring again, then it's really hard for Rick Tockett to take you out of the lineup, even if he doesn't like what you're doing defensively, if you're putting the puck in the net regularly. So uh, we were talking about unsung heroes for the Canucks, and my pick was uh, Pew Suter because the stat was the Canucks are 15-3-3 with him in the lineup this season. And obviously that's probably not all Pew Suter, but uh, it does feel like when he's in the lineup, the the 
lines for the Canucks just feel more set, and it feels like you can you can throw out any line and have a level of confidence in it. What have you thought of of his game so far this season when he is in the lineup, and just overall kind of like the the depth in the bottom six and the the confidence that Rick Tick, Rick Tockett seems to have in them at the moment. Yeah, that that's a really good point. I think. Uh, obviously Suter has some offensive upside and, and can help in, in that area of the game. And we've seen it, you know, from his brief period on the wing on the Patterson line. Um, but in terms of his two-way play, things just seem more quiet for me in the bottom six when, when he's a part of the team in a good way that, you know, you're not like, Oh, the fourth line's been hemmed in for two minutes and they're exhausted. Like that doesn't happen. And we've already talked about, you know, the third line and, and Suter was playing very well when he was on the line with Joshua and Garland before he got hurt. But since he's come back, you know, it, it feels to me anyway, and, you know, I, I don't have the underlying numbers in front of me to, you know, sort of back this up. So I'm just going off eye test from calling the games, but you know, it feels to me like you're you're not worried when you throw that fourth line on the ice because you've got a guy in Suter who, first of all, is very good in the faceoff circle, so that helps, um, is reliable, understands the two-way game, uh, makes the right play at both ends of the ice, and so it's quiet. Like, you know, your fourth line's never going to be a huge play driver in most cases and unless you're, you know, one of the top teams in the league or a legit Stanley Cup contender, which, you know, as the Canucks continue to have success, we might need to start talking about them in those sorts of terms, but... Um, but your fourth line, essentially, if they're having a shift in the offensive zone where the other team isn't attacking, the other team isn't creating chances, then that's successful. And I feel like there's a lot more of that happening when Pew Suter is in the lineup. And, you know, I think another guy we could mention in this conversation for unsung hero that hasn't played in a long time is Carson Soucy, because I feel the same way about him, that things seemed more solidified when he was in, uh, you know, on that third pairing and that you felt more confident with the third pairing on the ice. And we saw that really the Canucks lone stretch where they struggled to any extent to this point, this season was that stretch where Susie went out, but they hadn't acquired Zadorov yet. And they were rolling out both Mark Friedman and Noah Juleson in their lineup on a nightly basis. So I'll be very interested to see, assuming they can stay healthy, what the blue line looks like when Susie is able to return, because now that you've got Zadorov, you've got that added depth. And although Susie hasn't played much, I think he's a guy that's, you know, deserving of being in that conversation as well, just because of how things sort of turned in the wrong direction. And it almost directly coincided with the time that he went out with his injury. Really interesting point you make there that brings thoughts to my mind batch of Susie goes down. The Canucks defense looking a little thin. Uh, they then go on it's in the midst of four wins in 10 games, which used to be a huge streak for them, but not this year. And so management says we got to fill a hole on defense, and they go out and get Zadorov. Very interesting point you make because as you move into the second half, I'm waiting for this management to say, okay, what do we need if they're having issues anywhere, whether it's right side defense, on right wing, whatever, the PK, whatever. If they think they need an extra player, these guys seem to have the capability to go out and make that happen. Certainly they do. I mean, we've, we've seen they're by far the most active team in the NHL in terms of transactions and trades to this point this year so i would be very surprised if we don't see some sort of movement in terms of you know trying to help complement this group in one way or another whether it's 
you know, adding depth defensemen or bringing in a, another winger that maybe has some offensive upside. Obviously, the, the salary cap is going to be a little bit restrictive in, in terms of what you can do and how limited you are. But the closer you get to the trade deadline, the, the more wiggle room you have to, to make some of those th- decisions and, and make some of those things happen. So, you know, Jim Rutherford came here with that reputation of being a guy that likes making lots of moves and, you know, isn't, isn't afraid to shake things up if he feels that he needs to with the transaction. And certainly we've seen, you know, him along with Patrick Alvin make a, a ton of moves more than any other team to this point in the year. And, you know, the Zadorov acquisition, you know, right at the top of that list in terms of targeting a guy that they felt could help and just going out and getting it done. And, and, you know, it was a tidy piece of business too. So the, the thing I will be interested to see is whether they are active early prior to the deadline, because historically Rutherford has tried to get his business done ahead of time and not be in the market at the last minute on the trade deadline. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm not a salary cap expert, but I know they're pretty up tight against it. And, you know, they, they might have to wait till later so that, you know, they've, they've got less time left on the season in terms of trying to fit contracts in. But either way, especially with the, the way this team has played through the unofficial first half of the season here at the holiday break, because I know uh, they're not, you know, through half of their games yet by any means. Um, you would think that this management group will look to complement this group of players and try and give them an opportunity to have success going forward, but they also have to sort of find a, a good balance there of making a move if they can to help improve this roster while at the same time not mortgaging the future or not going out and getting a player that's a, a pure rental and giving up you know, their first-round pick potentially. I, I wouldn't be in favor of a move like that. So we'll have to wait and see what they do. But it, you know, if I'm sitting here now on December 27th um, saying, do I expect them to make you know, at least one, if not more, moves before the deadline? Yes, absolutely I do. And I would be quite surprised if they stand pat over the next couple of months. Well, once they they got to bring Susie's uh, contract back online here too, and whenever he's ready to go again, and then they drop someone from the D, I guess. But they do have room right now to bring Susie back on. Very little left after that, but uh, they've been creative. Aren't aren't trades fun though? I mean, not like they're blockbusters, but trades just trades just make such a huge difference. Batch like when I was growing up, there's trades all the time, and it was made kept the sport so interesting to me that I like these guys here, at least from a Vancouver standpoint, to make a few moves at least, and not just stand pat, keep things interesting with their roster. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's something that for the fans is is obviously uh, you know makes the game more interesting to follow, and hopefully with the salary cap going up and teams getting some more wiggle room this off season, we will see some more player movement because it's just been so hard for teams to move money over the past few years here in the, the flat cap era. So the fact that the cap's going to go up, hopefully that means that if there are teams that are looking to move off of contracts or, you know, are willing to bring players in that um, there, there could be some more marriages out there on the market in terms of the potential for trades and, uh, for excitement for fans, because, you know, you're right. It's it's one of the things that, you know, sort of drives our business, certainly in sports radio, but uh, drives engagement with the sport as well when, when you have your team making a big move and, and you get to talk about it. 
We were debating what the Canucks' top priority should be at the deadline because I, I don't think anyone can claim that they're legit cup contenders right now, but we're kind of wondering what it takes to take that next step and get into the conversation of being a cup contender, and that might not happen this year, but over time. Um, would you consider the the higher priority a top six winger who can maybe play with Elias Pettersson or a top four defenseman. Might have lost him. We lose Batch. That was that? such a good Stunned question. Him. Stunned him. I'll be Batch. Well, Susie's going to draw back into the lineup. So is he in your top four? Yeah, I would suggest he's in your top four. Mm-hmm. But if Cole, if you're looking for an improvement on Cole, if you consider him a five or a six, then I would... Uh, think you could be looking at another guy to fill that hole in there. I would be looking at my D before I looked at my forward groups because scoring goals at least has not been an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I just call the games, being that I'm Brendan Batchelor and I'm not. I'm not <laughs> yeah. in, uh, you know, the the war room. But if you ask me, Brendan Batchelor, Josh Elliott Dash Wolf, uh, with an E, I would be saying that's where I would want to look. See, I, I do think they've been scoring enough goals, but also we've talked so much about the shooting percentage and everything that, uh, I don't know, they can maybe drive offensive play a bit more, but it sounds like we got Brendan Batchelor back. Welcome see, back. See guys. what he says. Batch. Did you hear the question or do you want me I to? I did. Yeah, it, it, it literally, the call dropped literally at the moment <laughs> that I was about to start speaking. So I heard the whole question. Uh, I, I think it's a, a forward more so than a defenseman, just because as I already sort of, talked about um you know Susie coming back into the lineup with Zadorov already there uh you kind of fill out some of that defensive depth and uh, I think the the blue line looks a lot better where Noah Juleson and and you know no offense to Noah Juleson I think he's played very well in this stretch but uh you know if he's ideally cast as a seventh defenseman that only has to come into the lineup when you have an injury that to me, um, you know, makes a lot more sense. So, you know, assuming full health and no other injuries on the back end, I would look at the forward group and, you know, there's two ways to approach this. Like I, I agree. I think a, a winger that could play with Elias Pettersson would be, you know, an ideal fit with this group. And, and we're sort of talking in a, a theoretical situation where they have cap space, because I'm not sure if they can bring in a, a player that can have that level of impact with the salary cap room that they have. But, you know, my way of kind of galaxy braining this situation too is I would prefer rather than them bringing in a winger to play with Pedersen, I would like them to bring in another centerman that you can trust to play top six minutes. And again, this, this is in a, a perfect world because I don't think players like that grow on trees on the open market and, Certainly, they're not easy to acquire. You have to give up a lot of assets to bring them in. But if you could find another centerman to play top six minutes, then you free up JT Miller. You can move him to the wing. You can put him back with Pedersen, and you could reunite the lotto line or, or some similar semblance of a line that has Miller and Pedersen playing together. Because I think that, and, and not to take anything away from JT Miller either, I think he's had a tremendous year. But I think his best opportunity to succeed on this roster is on the same line as Elias Pettersson. So um, that, that's what I would look at is I would say if it's possible, and again, perfect world, it probably isn't possible. Can you bring in a second line center that you trust to play some of those matchup minutes like Miller has so that you can free Miller up to go to the wing, 
play on Pedersen's line, and then you can kind of load up that top line with a couple of your best point producers. I would bring in a physical defenseman because I need more depth given the, if you want to go deep in the playoffs or get there, I think you need some more depth on D for injury purposes, Mr. Bass. You can never have too many defensemen, that's oh, true. I hear you, pal. You're, you're a slick center, though. You're slick in your playing days. You're a slick, high-scoring center. So, you know, you want muscle on your wing, probably. So, now My playing days aren't over. I'm still out there at eight rinks all the time. You better wow. come watch, bro. Wow. I really don't want to, but thanks for the offer. <laughs> thanks, Batch. <laughs> See you, Thanks, buddy. gentlemen. Have a good one. See you soon. Brandon Batchelor. The Canuck, he'd be back in action. Didn't even ask him about the game. I should have asked him about playing Philadelphia. You tonight. want to watch Batch play. I played with him at the Canucks Autism Fundraiser. Pretty, pretty good, isn't he? Man, he's tenacious out there. Oh, yeah. He, he's like a little, he's like Connor Garland <laughs> size, right? So, But is he, is he a scorer? He's, he's pretty, he can skate. Yeah, right? he can put the puck in the net. He can yeah. do it all, really. Yeah. He's a jack of all trades. And he can call the game while he's out there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Great point. Uh, by the way, the Vancouver Giants, segueing here a little bit before we break. Vancouver Giants at home tonight against Victoria at 7 o'clock at the Langley Event Center. They're back off their Christmas break. The Giants and Royals tonight. The World Juniors today. Uh, Greg Ballack was just... Uh, making sure I knew this. Slovakia, 3-0 over Switzerland. Hanzik, the Vancouver Giants captain, scored. He's got two goals in two games. Slovaks are 2-0. Nice to see Hanzik not only scoring, but staying healthy. He was hurt at the World Juniors last year, and then hurt at Calgary Flame Camp earlier this year. So he hasn't seen a lot of games with the Vancouver Giants. He'll be back soon, though. Giants and Victoria at 7 o'clock tonight at the LEC. Unsung Heroes, they're still coming into the inbox here at 650-650. The Dunbar Lumber inbox. Makayev, someone dropped that on me. Yeah. And I thought that's pretty good. Did you say Mikhaev or Mikhaev? I'm a Mikhaev guy. Okay, personally. I'll Mikhaev you then. Mikhaev. Yeah. Is, is that's not a bad pick. He kind of sneaks around every now and then and makes some noise. I will say um, there was a lot of concern about him coming back from the, the ACL injury and how he would play off of that because his game is pretty reliant on speed, right? And what he can do uh, on the forecheck getting in ahead of defensemen and, and on to defensemen. But he's actually there's there's been less ill effects from the injury and recovering from it than I thought there would be. And he's shown what he can be more than I thought he would be able to this season. He's quietly, I would suggest quietly going out of his business, but then pops up every now and then, and mm-hmm. then the puck's in the back of the net. It was Detective Brian. says D-E-T Brian, so I, I don't Detroit know if it's... Brian. I like Detective better. It's <laughs> Detective Brian who said unsung hero, Mikheyev. Someone's thrown a Besser out there just because of the season he had had last year, but he's been totally sung this year, sitting on 24 goals, so I, I can't throw him in there. Uh, but uh, we got a lot of... And some else we talked about this earlier Myers play settling down once uh, Zadorov got into the lineup and yeah he still takes himself out of position often and so does Zadorov frankly but uh, those two together Myers certainly not as glaring as he used to be defensively Zadorov's really helped them in that way I would suggest definitely it's weird because I think a lot of people, when they brought Zadorov in and they saw that those two were going to be a pair, it was like, oh, man, this is going to be a chaos pair. There is going to be a lot of stuff happening on the ice when these two are together. And honestly, it's been way calmer than I imagined. And I think that's kind of all Canucks fans can ask for is that. Can still see him getting into trouble, but he's not in as much trouble as mm-hmm. he used to be. But sometimes him or Zadora just leave the spot they should be and go. They'll get three guys in the corner. Both guys have seen that happen too, but it's certainly not as glaring. And they're a good, 
a good pairing together. I just don't want them each to get 20 minutes a night, basically. Coming up next is What We Learn. Need your submissions. We're getting shut out in the inbox with What We Learn. You can be the first in. We're going to need them, too, because we have one more segment to come. What just we just tell people we'll actually read them. That's part of it. The listener is so used to Halford and Bruff asking for What We Learns, and then we just ignore all of them completely when really? we go on a rant or something. So your What We Learn will actually be read We're on cowards. this show. We will read them. If not, we'll go on a rant. So we need your what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650. What have you learned? Have you learned how cheap your significant other was with the gift they got you for Christmas? I'll take it. I will take it, folks. 650-650. That is the inbox. Stay with us. One more segment to go. I'm Brooke. That is Josh. This is Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. It's what we learn time. It's what we learn time. On the show. It's Josh Elliott Wolf time. It's Brooke Ward time. The remix. It's a dog time and a little bit of laddie. Can it's we re-record this with Brooke? Oh, my on goodness. Josh Elliott Wolf time. It's not bad. It's a dog laddie time. It's time I stopped, so I shall stop. Kind of hit the post there at the end. Uh, it is what we learn. You can jump your one. You can jump in on your what we learn. Six fifty, six fifty. Dunbar at Lumber. That is the text line. Do you have a read or anything like that? Yeah. What so what we do? learned okay. is uh, brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive comprehensive fire safety plans. Monthly audit audits. This is a tough read for me. And risk mitigation at two hundred dollars off. Visit getfireplan.com. Oh my God! We're having a fire plan. It's what we learn time. Oh, man. That singing career. Uh, you go, I go, and then we go to the, the fun. By so, the way, things are coming in now, but so far they suck. So my, get yours in at 650, 650. So go. They suck. My what we learned is uh, it's not sports related. I was trying to think of one. Did not think of one. Um, my what we learned, Christmas doesn't really feel like Christmas anymore. I don't know if that's a little, you're old. a little too sad. Yeah, is it because I'm older? Is it because it isn't snowing or cold outside? Did you just not get what you wanted? No, I, I, honestly, I didn't really want anything. Were you very this busy this holiday season? I was a bit busy. Yeah, but I, the I mean, snow I, definitely helps, though. I agree. Like, yeah. without snow, it, it is missing something. And I, and I hate snow. Yeah. But one day a year, if it could snow one day a year, Christmas Day is all I ask, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to snow any other time. But Christmas Day snow is always good. Yeah, I, even the even if it's in the lead up to Christmas, as long as I know it has snowed, then it well, feels like up, Christmas. You you usually can go up to a mountain and find your own snow, but mm-hmm. maybe that's not as easy to do this season. 
uh, which is another reminder, by the way, sidebar story, when I'm thinking of people who say, let's bring the Olympics, Winter Olympics back. Well, you remember we had no snow, and that was a problem back then. You really want to test that out again? Well, if this was an Olympic year, there's no snow. We want to do, go do that again. So I'm good with the Winter Olympics, by the way, one, one and done. Uh, the problem I have with the Christmas season is it starts too early, and it just lasts too long. So it can really, like, usually, first week of November, there's Christmas things, and the, some radio stations change the Christmas music feels like around November 1st, the season's too long, all the commercials are on, they just try and drive two months of the 12 into full-on Christmas, the Black Fridays, the Boxing Day, all this stuff, so they lose me early, so mm. I try to block it out until late. Are you a big Boxing Day shopper? I'm not at all, not no. even close. Hmm. Never been, never, I won't go near a crowd. I'd rather pay twice as much on the 27th than to go fight a crowd on the 26th. Fair enough. Not I worked like at, uh, I worked at Best Buy for a bit, so. That could be fun working on Boxing Day, though. It wasn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who says it's, it's fun working yeah, on Boxing it, it Day? It was very busy. It goes by quickly. Many retail yeah, Boxing no. Days in my life, too, Josh, so I yeah. feel you there. Yeah, because of the, uh, the, well, maybe not Boxing Day, maybe Christmas Eve or whatever is different because of the, the festive feeling and everybody's happy and all this stuff. Maybe on Boxing Day, everyone's returning. Have you things. been to a mall on Boxing Day, I, I, I avoid them. No. <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. No, I avoid them all. I just think it, when I used to work at this time of year, it was always more playful to me. And I actually enjoyed it more. I got more into the... When I was a kid, I like, worked at the Winners in Park Royal, and we, I would work Boxing Days. This is like, I was like teenager, early 20s. Man, uh, it got pretty aggressive in there. Yeah. The, the, the shoppers on Boxing Day at Winners, uh, it wasn't the happy environment. It's a bunch of losers way. there. Like, yes. Yeah, myself, I got it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I'm not a fan of malls and cr- and crowds anyway, just from mm-hmm. a from a hassle standpoint. But I just thought this, cr- oh, it might be kind of fun working. Apparently not. If your staff, you have to break up too many fights these days. Anyway, what I learned is the Denver Broncos are kind of cheaping out. They're che- they're they're screwing their fans basically more than anything, and other fans around the NFL. Russell Wilson plays quarterback for this team. There's people who probably bought bought tickets, maybe even got them for Christmas, maybe got them on Boxing Day to watch the Broncos play because they want to watch Russell Wilson. Maybe that'd be a huge thing, whether you're home or away. Among other things, he's one of the draws. I'm paying to watch these guys. In the NBA, you might Shaq sat out or whoever sat out. Well, I bought a ticket for that game. Well, he's just resting comfortably. You're not going to play that game, but I paid my money for that game. That seems like a ripoff. I would say that's what the Broncos are doing. Now they are going to sit their starting quarterback, Russell Wilson, for the final two games of the year. He's perfectly healthy. They're sitting him because next year at game four or five, he's due like a $37 million salary guarantee from the remainder of his term. And they are saying now, here in December of 2023, they don't want him, they don't want to take the chance of him getting injured in this week or next week's game have a long-term injury that takes them through the first five games of next season and costs them the $37 million guaranteed salary. So they say they're looking out for the long-term benefit of their football club and their fans and being able to manage cap space and spend dollars in the future. A year from now, basically, sitting Russell Wilson for the final two games because they say we don't want to take the chance he gets hurt and it's long-term and it costs us 37 mil guaranteed five games into next year. If I'm a fan... Who wants to A, see him. Basically, they're also just making sure they bought him out and get into the draft derby and make sure they get their best draft position. Well, they just say that. But they're parking Wilson for two weeks. If I'm Wilson, I'm not happy about that. And they're saying it's for financial reasons that will happen basically a third of the way into next year's season. 
To me, that's total BS. If I was a fan, too, and bought a ticket to watch this guy play, I want to see him play. Yeah, I agree. And, and the other part of it as well is technically, and look, a lot would have to go right for the Broncos to make the playoffs, but technically they're still in playoff contention. And so to not even give yourself a chance at that, and to be fair, it's like an 8% chance at, at making the playoffs. You're still alive, though. You're still alive. And like, wait until your team's eliminated to sit your quarterback. They w- is kind of my rule. They also say they want to see backup Jarrett Stidham play, but it ties in. And I could give you that. Okay, let's give this guy some reps. But A, they're still alive. And B, it's a financial reason. It's not taking any money out of the pocket necessarily of Russell Wilson. But in effect, it also could be because if, well, basically, it's not taken out because they're sitting him and playing him into next year. But uh, basically, if you're Wilson, I want to play. and uh, But you're also telling me, GF, I got hurt in the next two weeks and it was something really bad. You don't want to have to guarantee that money you owe me. So we're going to park you. I'd be very unhappy. Mm-hmm. I'm unsatisfied as a consumer of the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. Although not watching Wilson play so much, I don't know if I'm missing a lot. No. Way he's been good. He's well, had a it's better garbage year. time of the season, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, you're going to get stuff like this. Yeah. And I, th- I think you're going to start seeing this kind of stuff creep more and more into hockey, to be honest with you guys. The load management yeah, and I, stuff like that. I hate it. You're going to see more of it. People it pay money sense. for tickets, and it's I like, know. I'm going to go sit Pedersen for a game or two. Well, mm-hmm. I paid money maybe specifically to see him. Maybe maybe I love Russell Wilson, and I specifically, and I got these tickets for Christmas. That I, now we're going to park them. And it's for financial reasons, to make sure our butt's covered down the line. That might be a good decision for the franchise, but, I mean, you got fans, too. So, anyway, into the inbox, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, what we learned. No res- this is a Scott in the Ridge. What I learned, no respect for Hoagie. Hoaglander not getting any love when we were talking about unsung heroes. Yeah, I thought about bringing him up. He's been... Um... I feel like we've been, again, he's a guy we've been singing a lot, though, especially lately when he's been playing with Miller and Besser. Um, I feel like there's other guys that maybe have had a similar impact that are uh, going unnoticed. Um, I believe A-Dog also had a what we learned. Yes. I learned that uh, Wayne Gretzky potentially might have owned 25% of the of the Canucks, the Vancouver Canucks back in the day, back in the mid-80s after winning the Stanley Cup, one of many. And uh, we got audio from uh, Spitting Chicklets. He was on with Spitting Chicklets earlier. This oh. is swear-free. I did listen to it first. Audio of his uh, interview the other day with Spitting Chicklets talking about how he almost owned the Vancouver Canucks. I think when you told the story originally about maybe going to Vancouver, I think that you mentioned that they offered you also a chunk of the team. Yeah, 25%. Oh, Jesus. How dumb am I? (laughs) No, no. I talk to Nelson Scalvini all the time, right? He called me the 7 a.m. when we won the Stanley Cup and said, I'm going to buy the Vancouver Canucks. I'll give you 25% ownership of the team and $3 million a year. Now, the highest paid player in hockey was me at that time was eight hundred grand Canadian. Oh, that's a nice raise. I know. And I, no. and I, <laughs> how dumb am I? Uh, and I? And I was like, you know what, Mr. Scalvania, you know what, I love you to death, but it's not going to work for me. Crazy. That's a tough break. Now, he didn't say the year. But after he won the cup, so he's won the cup in Edmonton. Is that 87 just before he went to the Kings? Well, um, Daily Hive, who first turned me on to this, so credit to them, uh, they did note some wrinkles because the biggest being Scalbania never actually wound up owning the Canucks. Yeah. Instead, of course, it went uh, Frank and Arthur Griffiths during that time. So it, 
begs the question how Scalmania was even in the position to right. propose that offer to Gretzky. Although maybe he, at one point he could have been the owner. I'm not. To, some of the details are murky there. Scalbania said a lot of things to a lot of people, though. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of them, uh, obviously, was the Gretzky. I'm going to buy the team. I don't think the Griffiths family was selling the team. I know Arthur Griffiths is a listener, so he should just call in and explain yeah. this to us. I don't <laughs> yeah, think. Let's get all the details. Yeah. And it just call in, Arthur. Just tell us what he's talking about. And Arthur about. didn't offer him 25. Scalbania, I'll give you three mil a year, and I'll give you 25% of the team. Come to Vancouver. Ultimately, Gretzky got traded to Los Angeles. Although I heard back then, rumor wise, that the Canucks were actually in the mix. Well, there's that Back famous then. story about how Pac Quinn and Co. Well, that was different. That was the that after was, LA. That, sorry, that was going before he went to the Blues. That yeah. short, short stint with the Blues. Yeah. But back then, when the 87 88 deal was made to the Kings, I've heard the Canucks were actually in the mix mm-hmm. a little bit there, might have because they had a couple of shots at Gretzky when they yeah. were in the mix. And that was one of them. Scalbany, though, never bought the team. It wasn't for sale, as far as I know back then. The only reason the team ever got sold is because Arthur put a basketball team in there and spent his own money uh, building uh, what was, uh, the, well, what's Rogers Arena right now was GM Place. And then eventually the bills start coming in so high, he needed help. So he went to his family friend, the McCaws, down in Seattle, mm-hmm. and they started 10% of the team, 10% of the team then the bills would come in okay and here's another 10 percent. and pretty well uh eventually the macaws owned the team because they had more shares than arthur did and he finally sold out and then the macaw so that gretzky story there is one uh from 87 then scalvani never bought the team he might have just been blowing smoke uh, and then uh, the McCaw story was, yeah, that uh, Pat Quinn was still here at the time in the McCaws, and Gretzky may have very well been coming to Vancouver instead of St. Louis, but he wanted to sleep on the deal, and McCaw and or Stan McCammon called Pat Quinn up and said, I want the answer right now. He's going to shop that deal, and Gretzky wasn't shopping it, and Pat Quinn phoned Gretzky in the middle of the night, and Gretzky, he said, I have to call you. The ownership's making me do it. They want a decision right now, and he uh, probably just awakened Gretzky, said, well, then I can't give you an answer now, so the answer I guess I will give you is no and the deal was it was over he was almost here in Vancouver fumbled the bag some would say that was the story as I know it that's what we learned maybe somebody learned something out there elsewhere in the text box great stuff though great stuff that was good good yeah I liked it Oh, they say text message in basket. Okay. I got to get got to get used to that. And we have to manually print out all the submissions. Oh, yeah. As right. Right. I, I have none of these. I went out of order. Sorry, boys. It's my first day. I went over to the box before we went bro. over to Andy. We'll be a well-oiled machine tomorrow, though. It's way fine. better than the first hour. Yeah. By 9.30 Friday, we'll be, we'll be perfect. <laughs> hey, Doc and I, we're just sitting back here cringing. The by whole, I, well, 10.30. So I think order. By, by 10.30 Friday, everything will be fine. We're on 7 till 10 next couple of days. Yeah. Yes, Josh. Uh, this one, what we learned the unsung hero i'm just patting myself on the back here uh the unsung heroes of the season so far are the post-christmas radio hosts wow the backups are always undervalued reluctantly back at work today and you guys are saving the morning you know todd has bad takes it's tough being a black ace sometimes and you're just sitting here and the all the starters are you know they're they're into their playoff mode and then you and i are just skating on our own every day and waking up at ungodly hours of the morning those todd has bad takes that's just one good that's a good take that's one job todd Todd. yeah when 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 josh and i are out there we're the only black aces too it's just we turn the nets around that's what we're shooting at we don't have goalies we we have to bring our own pucks Stuff like that, so uh, that's very nice. But the the key is, though, those black aces, when they have to go in the lineup, if they can at least uh, be even in the plus-minus by the end of the day, I don't think we're too under par. I feel about even. I don't think I'm a plus-three, 
If I feel about even today, I'll take that as a black ace, limited ice time. I'm fine with it. Why not? I'm, I'm okay with it. I feel- uh, this one, Don and Penticton, what we learned. The more I hear A-Dog's jingles, the more I feel he's being bullied into doing them. And the more forced feelings he puts in, the more I feel someone is pinching him real hard on the earlobe. Free the dog from jingle torture. That's Don and Penticton. No, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. You just do what you like. Jingle torture. It's not something we really plan. It's all spur of the moment stuff. Laddie plays a song. We start humming something. It's it's all very organic. Nothing humming something. Man, I I need to see the uh, the workflow. There's a process. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing's planned at all, and that's the way uh, I've spent about forty years in this business. Just don't do any planning. Don't do any prep. Uh, Is uh, does Bruff like Russell Wilson? Is he a big Russell Wilson guy? Uh, Not anymore. Okay. (laughs) What I learned. Donkey sends this in. Uh, what I learned is Broncos are benching Brusky, Mr. Unlimited, for the final two games, which we talked Unlimited. about for a couple Unlimited. Is that what it is? Yeah. I didn't want to oversell it. Yeah, he has a um, a commercial where he was called Mr. Unlimited. It was It's a very bad You're commercial. You're going to make me find wow. the drop, aren't you? Well, he, <laughs> he drops Bruff in here. So that's why I was... Uh, Wondering if he, if if Bruff is a Russell Wilson guy or if Russell Wilson is a Bruff guy. I, I mean, I know, I know Russ is, is notoriously guy. an overcomer. I know he's an overcomer. Wow, man, he is too. I thought we were looking for drops there. That's I, okay. I'm trying to find it. That's okay. I was no, trying to fine. think of something to say, but you know, by the way, just keep me off the air. What I learned. So I'm sitting in Bruff's spot today, and his whole thing is the Sat Club, right? Which his teams never win. That's his whole thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Dogs, I'm getting nods. You are correct. I would I would say that my teams are more sad and my teams never win. Therefore, I can challenge for sad club commissioner. You're going to challenge Bruff's title? Look, we both have the Canucks. Ooh. He's got the Seahawks, though, who have won. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. That's awful. Uh, I'm a Blue Jays fan. Is he a Mariners fan? No, he's Jays. Who's Jays? He's a reluctant Jays We have man. that. Um, <laughs> he hates Bo Bichette for some reason. Who, Who's uh, very good. Very odd selection. But By the why, way, what why? we learned, uh, yeah. Jays have signed Isaiah Kainer-Falefa to a two-year. A hyphen trip. name. You awesome. have to mention him. Yeah, big hyphen. I was waiting for that. Um, but I don't know. I would wager that my teams are more sad. I have a, a sad club uh, development that I'm going to propose to Bruff when he's back. And that was because there was a viral clip over the break that some of you may have seen that uh, Leafs fans were being told to ruin their Christmas that their team had not won three rounds in a playoff series in their entire existence. And that's true. If you look it up, they, when the Leafs won all those cups, it was a two rounds and you win it. So they've literally, they've never won more than two rounds in a playoff series, which, or uh, you know, a playoff season, and that's something that should qualify them for the sad club, should it not? That's, They've never won four rounds. I've like, never thought of that before. It yeah. is pretty sad. Never thought of that before, but it is amazing. They like, have banners, but really. not since '67. Yeah. yeah, they're '67 in the '16 league or whatever before expansion, which was '67, '68. I think was first expansion, so they would have mm-hmm. won it like April. So the Canucks going to the final three times. The, the Leafs. I've never won that much in a playoff run before, which Maybe is pretty sh- amazing to sh- think about. We should add up how many playoff rounds the Leafs have had in their existence and how many the Canucks have had in their existence. And maybe, although the Leafs played 
there's a Toronto St. Pat's and all these things back years ago, but the Leafs only, if it's two rounds and they didn't win every year, they'd be out in the first round mm-hmm. often. Maybe the Canucks have more playoff round, highly unlikely. Maybe the Canucks have more They're playoff dream, round though. victories because they've gone a couple times to the final. And, of course, they beat the Leafs in the 94 in the third series on their way. That's right. The Canucks are going to the Stanley Cup final. I think Jim Robson said it a little better. Uh, what we learned, the most, uh, this is uh, Surrey Ryan, the most impressive stat for the Canucks, 23 regulation wins. And that is separating them from the pack. And could the regulation wins, should that trend continue, could separate them from a lot of teams if you're talking about ties by the time you're looking for playoff position. That's very interesting. The one uh, one thing I saw online, I think I did the math on it too, is um, a lot of people want the three-point uh, structure in the NHL where, hey, if you win in regulation, you got three points. Overtime, you get two points, but the loser still gets one. Yeah. Uh, so essentially three points given out in every game. Um, because the Canucks have so many regulation wins, they would be very high, very Be running clear. away with things. They would, Yeah, they'd be running away with the league <laughs> at the moment, which is uh, even more insane. Do you like a three-point game? I I'd prefer it. Yeah, I feel like there should be some more incentive to win in regulation. Young people. No, I'm, we were talking the other day. Get rid of three points and make the five on f- make overtime three and three overtime go ten minutes. And then if you still haven't won at that point, then it's a tie. But, and the reason we suggested that is like ninety percent of those games somebody would score. Like mm-hmm. you would have very very few ties yeah. if you made the three on three ten minutes. The shootout's unnecessary. If, just, it just takes rid- five minutes anyway. Well, BCHL's the, the gotten- shootout. Bring back the tie. You'll probably see very few ties, and you'll get three on three ten minutes, which is usually far more exciting. BCHL went to 10-minute three-on-three this year, and I I can count on one hand, I think, the number of shootouts that there yeah. have been league-wide this year. Yeah. So. Nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with a tie. It used to be fine. A tie is fine, but I hope you're not seeing 10 minutes of rope-a-dope the way some of the teams are now. Well, the last couple three-on-threes, that's true, yeah. haven't been as yeah. entertaining, but in general, I would much rather watch three-on-three hockey well, for 10 minutes than a shootout. And, and the shootout's kind of exciting when you don't get one every once in a while. Like, hey, we're actually going to get a shootout for one. I enjoy them more than I used to. For sure. I still don't enjoy them. You're talking about the shootouts? The well, shootouts. they're still fairly common, I would say. Yeah. In the well, NHL. the Canucks have had, what, one this year? The first one was, what was it, um, against Nashville? Am I wrong? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Um, but yeah, so the Canucks have had one this year. I think they were the last team to have a shootout this year. Um, I don't know. It, it is definitely getting more rare. The Canucks in general have only had four games go past... Uh, Regulation time so far this season. That's four low. or five. That's real Which low. is very low. Yeah. Because they're winning so much in regulation. They're just winning too much. <laughs> yeah. Oh. They should stop doing that. I got to get this in. Sorry. Colin and Tawasson. I Thanks for this part. Anyway, I love Brooke. He successfully butchered every standard element of the Hallbro show that I've heard today. <laughs> Not your standard host. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just getting my feet wet. It's not my normal position. I'm playing out of position today. So, yeah, I will tell you. I'm usually playing offense. I'm kind of on defense today. But I'm not saying you're wrong. And eh, thank you for the text. And it's always good <laughs> if it starts with, uh, if it starts with, uh, I love Brooke, and then ends with, uh, but uh, he's butchered everything on here in the show. Yeah, I'm feeling my way through it. Uh, Justin East fan, by the way, you could take the Sad Club Commish title from Bruff, Josh. If you could finish a family-sized lasagna faster than him, challenge accepted. So you have to do that live on the air on stream. But that means whoever wins, whoever eats the family-sized lasagna first, 
gets the title. Okay. I would pay to see that. Oh, I would too. I would pay to see that. You bet. Uh, thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow. Tell a friend 7 a.m. until 10. Huff and Bruff, they're off this week. Josh Elliott, Wolf, and Brooke Ward with you. You've got A-Dog, you've got Laddie. More to come. The place to be. If it matters, it happens here. And if it happens here, it matters. It's Sportsnet 650.